Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today has computer science degree, and he's spent years optimizing businesses from anything from accounting to listings to their operations, and that's what he did. And he's today one of the partners of Pilot Wave Holdings, which is an aggregator. And when he's not working, he likes to travel internationally and watch and play sports. So he can tell us which sports he plays. I'm curious. So with that, everybody, meet my guest, uh, Arik Aganasian. Uh, welcome to the show, Arik. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and share my experience. Oh, yeah. I always like to talk to engineers and especially computer science be it because we are very methodical, right? We break everything down. We do, right? Process-oriented and KPIs. Yeah, and we don't mind being disagreeable from time to time, right? Because we call it we call it as we see it. So. We do. We we look at it. we we try and find the uh, objective truth, right, uh, and not be subjective about it. Exactly. So, uh, before we start, what sports do you play? Well, you know, through, through my childhood, I played. Uh, you know, I started off with judo. Uh, then I did uh, played football and basketball, and then actually transitioned to rowing, which I did collegiately during my time at Santa Barbara. Ah, okay, cool. Okay, so um, we were discussing business operations, optimizing, and so how do you apply this? Because now you work with an aggregator. You know, it's it's uh, you are a partner there, and. Aggregators are all about growing brands. So how do you apply your knowledge of optimizing businesses to growing brands? Yeah, so, so it's a great question, right? And and Pilot Wave Holdings, right, is, you know, we do aggregate brands, but we see ourselves as an acquisition firm, right? Because um, we're not bound just by e-commerce. We are, we, we run across multiple verticals. I'm a partner and I run the e-commerce side of it, right? And for the e-commerce side of it, it really comes down to connecting the, the finance and operations, right? Um, th that is in the core of it uh, for us. Okay. So this is always a challenge because you are, take a, a small business. So first of all, what find, what makes Amazon sellers attractive for aggregators is they create private label uh, products and that's a new brand and they're building it from scratch. So it's a startup, essentially. Startups mm -hmm. usually have little or no money. <laughs> and that's true. Uh, with, with that limitation, they end up pretty much doing whatever they can in order to get the job done. So that means that they are using Excel, Google Sheets, and, you know, use this cloud, that cloud, and then use this VA and that VA. And then generally speaking, 
they, uh, they they need a network. They just just put things together. So before you know it, you got like litter all over the place, right? You are right. I mean, and that's it's a go 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 of being an entrepreneur, right? And it's part of what I like to call the Amazon seller life cycle, right? Um, and if I can just humor you here, um, you know, I see it as like you know four four stages usually, right? Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. We've both been entrepreneurs and both been sellers. Um, the way I see it, usually you have the, the beginning phase, like what a startup, right? Where you just take a risk, find a product, right? And you kind of launch it. You try to make it work, which everywhere you can, right? That's the first stage, right? It's, it's scary. You're not going to make it. As you stabilize your sales, you kind of found a product that people like, you get reviews, you figure out kind of like your cash position a little bit, like you, you're profitable. You enter that second stage where your product sort of like starts launching up, Right. And everything is working well, right? Everything is going so well. You feel like you have a grip of your finances, your new products. You have, you know, um, you understand how the marketing is working. You feel like you have a grip of everything. You know, you feel like you know everything you're doing. And then things start slowing down a little bit. And like that plateau, right? The first struggle kind of. You get a little comfortable. And all of a sudden, things that were working really well before, you know, aren't for some reason. Right. And it, it creates a dilemma for the seller. Right. Because as an Amazon entrepreneur, again, you, you thought you got a good grip of everything, but all of a sudden you don't. Marketing isn't as efficient. The, for some reason, the inventory is not moving as fast. And that struggle all of a sudden is making you be spread really thin across your whole company. Which then brings us after months of struggle, usually to the fourth stage, which what I like to call the fork in the road, right? Where a seller has to decide, do I continue this path where now I might be afraid to lose everything because things are not going that great? Or do I exit, right? And that's oftentimes where people decide to sell their business. And actually, that's when I actually speak to most sellers that I speak to, I speak to them at that road in the, uh, the fork in the road. When they sort of struggle for a few months, they're considering an exit because the struggle that they're feeling post that, you know, kind of kind of like exponential growth has slowed down, right? So that's what I refer to as the Amazon seller life cycle, right? And I'm curious if you kind of saw it similarly from your point of view. Well, yes, it's, it, I have a couple of other stages in between. <laughs> Yeah, of course, there's many stages up and down, right? And um... yeah, so the the stage that I'm most familiar with, and this applies to all of us. It's you know, it, not necessarily just Amazon, but Amazon just amplifies things because systems are key for success, That's right? But what happens is, um, entrepreneurs start an operation, and then. The next thing is things are happening and you are figuring out solutions to things that come up on a daily basis, putting them in place. And in some cases, implementing yourself. In, the, in other cases, you hire people and then you ask them, do this for me, do that for me. Uh, either they are following your instructions of what you put in place or that you ask them, figure it out. Just, you know, figure it out. Don't bother. You're solving problems on the go, right? And and, and oftentimes yeah. you might be solving something, but 
you know, the fundament, the fundamentals are wrong, right? The foundation sometimes is shaky, right? Just because you're trying to get things done and move forward, exactly. the fundament, yeah. the foundation is a little shaky sometimes, just because you're trying to move so fast. Yeah. So what happens is you get to a point where you, you you're generating revenue, money is coming in, but you're not really making any money yet. Net profit is not there yet. So you spend. So the first uh, stage is after starting. Uh, that's critical stage is you're spending more than what you're bringing in. So that's right. That's one area. So now while doing that, you also are constantly pursuing new ways to generate money. So mm -hmm. somebody says, well, how about selling here? How about selling there or selling on your website, selling on this marketplace, selling on that marketplace. So you start to go all over the place, making different deals and then, yeah, and business grows. Of course, every one of those bill, deals that you make brings in money and then comes to a point where things are starting to fall apart because those little band-aids you put in no longer will support your growth. That's and right. that's the scary time that I, in, in, in my book, for an entrepreneur, they've grown the business to a point with no infrastructure and or little infrastructure, good people on board, good prospects, but now they need to spend money to migrate their infrastructure. And that usually is the, the most challenge because there isn't enough money, there isn't enough cash flow, but if they don't do this, they're going to die. Then what do you do? So that's that's the stage that I'm, most intimately familiar with as we all as we all are and you know i agree with you right it's that it's it's having the right foundation right to 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 face not just good times right now when things are going really well which by the way having the right foundation can accelerate and really push forward everything you do really well right but a good system in my opinion a good foundation will help not just increase your upside but the most importantly to decrease your downside right? Because that's what we care about, I think. Oftentimes, you know, that's what entrepreneurs stay up at night thinking about, oh, like, is my business going to survive, right? Obviously, we all think about how to grow it. But fundamentally, it's, am I going to survive the next couple of months and the cash flow situation that my business is facing? Yeah. So what I want to learn from you, Eric, is operations are operations. So uh, everybody knows financials you know actually i don't want to say everybody knows most people are ex intimately familiar with a profit and loss account so they can sure. look at an income statement and say okay we made so much money we spent so much on this that the other but they are not really as familiar with the balance sheet which is the no. key to building value okay nevertheless Everybody's heard of balance sheet. Everybody's heard of income statement. Um, but operations is a different animal, right? So connecting operations, sometimes, like for example, uh, how many people work in the company and, and how they are performing. Mm -hmm. That doesn't show up in financials as a PNL. It 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 drives the PNL. Uh, not in a it, it can drive in a good way if people are performing uh, bad way um your um another thing is 
let's say, for example, we are in the business of shipping items. So how many orders are you shipping on daily basis? And what kind mm -hmm. of resources are going into fulfilling one order? In other words, what is your fulfillment cost? I'm not talking about postage. So these are operational things. So share with us some of your approach, linking operations to financials. So, I mean, I think you've said perfectly. Um, current PLs you download from QuickBooks just show you what happened backwards, right? They just show you the facts. And you can sort of like link it yourself, think about what happened exactly, and retroactively think about components, right? What, what I'm discussing here is how can we link it in such a way where we can talk about real initiatives, we can talk about real plans, and actually... Layer it, layer it in within our financials. So when you look at the next 24 months of your business, you can layer in everything that you'd like to do, right? And I know a lot, lots of entrepreneurs have many ideas, right? And we can come up. It's about layering it in there with certain KPIs that will obviously affect revenue, expenses, et cetera, right? And building a model that will make you feel like you have an understanding of the downside and upside of what you're going to do. Um, and over time, because you are mapping out the variables and obviously you're going to make some assumptions on certain things, get better and better at understanding what the, what is the effect of certain things, right? And most importantly for me, actually, um, when we're actually trying to understand the impact of a new initiative, right? Which let's say we've been selling on Amazon for three, four years. We sort of know the impact of advertising on the business, Right. We, we can sort of predict how that's going to affect the business moving forward. But let's say we want to start selling on Walmart, right? Uh, something that we've never done before. And there's certain, you know, um, costs associated with it, right? That we, we definitely know that for a fact. On the upside, you're like, well, there's such a large margin, right? Of like what success could look like and different estimates, different forecasting. And you never know until you actually start, right? So... The important thing is actually to be able to map in into your financials all these assumptions about the upstart cost, right? And the sustained cost. And then be able to just say, have a toggle in your financials that says, I know we have certain assumptions about the growth of Walmart, but let's zero out all the growth, right? Let's just say there was no growth and we just thunk in all the money, right? Having that view in your financials of being able to toggle that on and see can your company handle that situation makes you feel probably a lot more makes you sleep better at night when you know, okay, we're going to do these 10 initiatives. And even if they go sideways completely, we'll generate $0 in revenue. Our cash flow will not dry up. Our balance sheet will not zero out, right? So to me, that's the most powerful thing we can do by essentially taking objectives and layering them within the financials to be able to actually communicate to everyone in our team from the CFO to the operations to understand what is the impact on our financials and forecast of financials. I see. So this is uh, the scenario where you have a new initiative you're planning. So what you do is you almost create a separate uh, cash flow statement, so to speak, not PL. Uh, but, but you hired them within PL. I mean, it's, the three statements connect, right? Your income statement, your balance sheet, and your cash flow yeah. statement all connect, right? So, yeah. but you layer it into your PL, which then affects your balance sheet, uh, which then affects your cash flow statement, right? Um, so, all three kind of work together.
Okay, so you, you want to run some what if scenarios. So, one with existing operation as is, what kind of cash flow you're generating, what kind of profit you're making, and, and then you add on that additional piece uh, with zero revenue expectation and just you the can. cost. Exactly, you can if you want. You, you can see the you, it would be good to see the upside, right? But it's also good to know what happened. Let's say if things don't go as well, right? Let's try, let's toggle off the increase in revenue, right? Let's just let's just incur the costs, right? And that's oftentimes fundamentally how we operate our companies when we do new new initiatives. Um, can we handle that initiative if it went sideways, right? Um, if it does, fantastic. Okay, well let's do it. What there's no, there's no fear because the company will be okay. Right, so that that's the approach. Um, okay. so, one thing so I'd you, like to oh, go for it. Yeah, you could apply this actually not necessarily launching on Walmart, but launching another product and another product. New, right, exactly. New product. Um, let's say you want to do another acquisition of another, you know, maybe a smaller brand. Let's say you want to include the company that is related to your category. Right. Let's say you're a seller right now and you want to expand right your business. Right, you can have two options. You can create new products, or maybe you can acquire an existing smaller product. Right, and you can do a cost-benefit analysis of both. Yeah. Um, how about? So I understand this is for the if you like bringing visibility into what you anticipate will happen with something that you haven't done before. You just, uh, you're going to be adding to your operation. So what about your existing uh, operation? Uh, share with us some KPIs that you stay close to. Um, it would depend on the initiative, right? I think that that really depends. Um, I think that's the second exercise. I think that's the first exercise actually when we map out all of the growth levers, right? I mean, first thing before you, you know, layer it into the financials, you first want to map out the different um, growth levers, um, whether it's, let's say, let's let's bring up a few here. Uh, I know we brought up Walmart, let's say selling internationally, uh, let's say increasing ad spend, and let's say also um, social media influencer, right? Let's say we want to become, um, you know, pay a social media influencer to drive traffic to our website, right? Um, now, each one of them is going to have a different KPI, right? Um, you know, for the social media influencer, for instance, the KPI maybe I'll use there is Instagram followers, um, traffic to the website, right? Um, and we can we can track those. For for Amazon, right? If it's ad spend, right? We can look at you know everybody, everyone everyone knows ACOS and tacos at this point, but one additional layer that I like to add for marketing is actually. Um, churn rate, but on Amazon specifically, um, there's many different, um, well, I mean, many different companies, but there's an ability to see your cohort retention actually, right on Amazon. And by looking at the churn rate, right, and return rate of your customers, you can actually gauge the quality, right, of your advertising and your marketing. Because at the end of the day, the purpose of marketing is to acquire customers that are good quality. The ones are going to return and be repeat buyers, right? So depending on the depending on the initiatives, the KPI will change essentially, right? Uh, but at the end of the day, they're all related to things, either growing top line 
growing the bottom line, right? Um, and growing the bottom line could be either lowering the expenses or increasing the expenses, right? Uh, and again, it's all a function of the PL, right? All at the end connects to it. And but the exercise is independently done for each growth lever. I see. Uh, define for us the churn rate. So that's going to be the number of customers. Uh, you're, this will be part of a cohort analysis, right? Let's say we have 100 people, right, that purchase uh, an item from us for the first time in month number one, right? Um, the, the churn rate or the return rate of customers or the next, the next month is going to be the number of customers that actually came back, right, out of that original cohort the next month and the following. Now, depending on the window that we look at, right, some people will say one year, two years, right? Um, the number of customers we that don't come back, right, to make a second purchase, right? That would be the customers that we've lost, right? Now, Turner is more and more often used for subscription services, right? Like SaaS offers, they use that because right. these are recurring revenue. Now, but still the case for e-commerce, right? Um, and for us, right, I mean, we have the ability to see that information, right? Um, and after all, many products in e-commerce, right, um, have repeat purchase behavior, right? Or the ability to cross-sell a different item to them. So that's still important, right? Even if it's not recurring revenue, you might be able to be very happy that they purchased item A, but they came back and purchased item B from your store because, you know, they liked your brand, for example. So that that's what churn rate is for us. Okay. So uh, share with us how you access a returning customer record or what in Amazon, because as, as you know, Amazon is, is very nervous about sharing customer information. They're making it less and less available. In fact, for FBA customers now, they don't even show the name, right? So they yeah. don't, and you can, you can see that, right? Um, so what actually, so what Amazon does, right? I mean, they they don't no longer show you the email, the name, as you mentioned, even the address. Uh, they actually hash the um, hashing is a way to basically um, um, basically um, what's the word for? I'm using look looking for so they cover up essentially the email, right? But it can, it creates a mask, it, right? But when you use the same hashing way, you actually mask it the same way. So if I hashed your name and I use the same hashing, it would have the same masking every single time. So you might not know who the customer is. You might not have their email. But if there's a return customer, actually, because of the way Amazon, um, you know, sort of operates uh, in the transaction data, you will be able to actually see where your repeat customers are because of that masking. I see. And so companies what... like Nozzle, companies like Nozzle AI actually have taken exactly that and have created a whole platform, for example. I see. So what you are talking about is this is very crafty way to do it. So, <laughs> so uh, only comes from a, a computer science guy. So you're looking at the order data and then you are simply, you don't need to see the customer name or email or anything like that. But the way Amazon masks is masks a, a customer ID, let's call it the ID, whether it's the name or the email, uh, is, is going to be the same way every time on that same customer. So from that, you are, uh, okay, 
that's I've never heard. You know, we've recorded over 100 episodes until now, and I've never heard anybody suggest that. That's a great tip. Uh, so yeah, listen, and that's how companies. Some companies again, like maybe that's not how they do it exactly, but I would guess that that's how I would do it if I created their company. Nazla AI is a company that does just that. Um, give you the ability to see, you know, your customer lifetime value, right? Because at the end of the day, customer lifetime value is you pick a you pick a period of time, you pick the average, you know, order value and the number of transactions that on average a customer does, and you get your customer lifetime value. So, you know, very quickly, if you take that transaction data and you pivot it, uh, you can get all of that information. Okay, so this automatically implies something in the business model. Um, you don't want to be in a business where you pick an item or you're selling an item that's only a one-time deal. You want the the consumable, so to speak, aspect of your business. So you always want to build something where people will keep coming back, maybe not necessarily for the main item, but they will need parts, accessories, uh, some related items. So that's what you're suggesting, really. I am, and that's part of our philosophy. I think at Pilot Pilot Wave, um, it is to actually shop, follow the follow the consumer with their shop, right? And essentially acquire companies that sell them items along their route of shopping, right? In, in their basket of goods, because um, then it's much easier to target and resell to your customer. Okay. So for Amazon sellers, so since we are talking about selling on Amazon, let, let's focus on that part. So for Amazon sellers, you are, some of the KPIs, you know, we know about takeoffs, we know about ACOS, uh, now the churn rate you introduce. So that's something you're looking at. What else are you looking at? What other KPIs should they be looking at? On Amazon? Um, from a marketing point of view, I think we sort of covered it, right? Um, I think from the business point of view, I mean, I think it's important to just be aware that Amazon releases new reports all the time of new information, right? I just noticed over the past two weeks, maybe it's been longer, um, Amazon actually started releasing, um, and this is for um, you know, 3P sellers, right? Not wholesalers, because for wholesalers, they've been doing this for a while, but forecasting, future forecasting for your products, right? Um, now you're able to actually see for some of your top ASINs on Amazon, you're forecasting moving forward, right? Um, that Amazon's forecasting for your products, which is kind of a game changer because, you know, like you, you don't have to kind of break your head to understand like what seasonality and the, how can we forecast the sales? But now for your top ASINs, they're starting to show you the forecasting. So I think that, and I think before this, you know, I think six months ago or so, they introduced the um, kind of like the refined, um, you know, uh, lens on your, on your keywords and, and your brand analytics aspect of it, right? You can see actually how well your brand is performing, kind of taking away some of the um, functionality that, companies like Helium 10 and, you know, other, other software programs kind of provide you with. So I think KPIs of this sort um, and new ones, again, that Amazon sort of like as, as the more Amazon reveals its data to us, um, 
the more KPIs start showing up. So like, uh, you know, I'm one to say that you should always look for a new KPI if a new one comes out that is more powerful, right? So, yeah. So there is a, there is a saying that I like very much. A, a good employee knows the metaphors in a company that is uh, that that helps people a good manager applies the metaphors but a leader creates metaphors so my point is if you really want to differentiate yourself in business in terms of how to use data you really need to create your own kpis because the KPIs that you are using as provided for you by Amazon, everybody else is getting the same thing. So mm-hmm. if they follow, um, I would say, you know, playing a little bit of a devil's advocate, I would say, be careful following those, the forecast recommendations or whatever that Amazon shows, because they don't know your business. You know your business. Uh, they may know what's going on at, Amazon end, and they may also know, based on your numbers, they are, you know, rich enough to have all the data driven, you know, predictions and everything else. But really, they don't know the facts on the ground, you know them better. So therefore, Mm -hmm. uh, I would say be careful, definitely look at it. But from my standpoint, create some KPIs that are relevant to your business operations for your success. So uh, what what do you think about that approach? So creating your own KPIs. Um, so first of all, I agree with you. Take whatever Amazon gives you with a grain of salt, right? I think couldn't agree more with it. And at the end, it manifests itself in, I guess, it goes back to the financials, right? It connects back to your financials and your interpretation of it, Right. And what you're comfortable with um, as well, right? Just because Amazon is showing one thing, does that mean she will depict that way on the financials, right? Again, it's that linkage and the way you sort of d- decide to do it is, is fundamental to uh, what's actually happening on the ground, I think, as you mentioned. In terms of creating your own KPIs, um, you know, I, I believe that creating your KPIs is is important, right? But at the same time, what I sort of like to look at um, at Amazon is it's it's a game, right? Uh, it's a game because you have certain parameters that you can, like again, from a optimization problem, right? That that, that are pre- present present to you, right? And those parameters are the KPIs we look at, right? Uh, revenue, ACOS, tacos, ad spend, etc., right? And the idea, right, is how do we actually understand the on a mac on a macro level what Amazon wants to do? On a micro level, we have our sort of like parameters that we can tweak. And how do we actually manipulate the game in such a way where we're optimizing for the success of the business? Right. Mm-hmm. And success of the business, actually, I think that's where maybe that changes for people. Is it revenue? Is it profit? Is it if it not, you name it, right? It can change. So to me, that's why I, as much as I think it's good to have multiple KPIs to look at something, right, from different angles, 
Uh, like I mentioned, the churn rate for the marketing as a way to measure the quality of the customer you're acquiring. Um, at the end of the day, you do want to use the KPIs that most other people are using. So because that tells you that those sort of parameters are strong enough to be considered in your model, right? And at the end of the day, right, the financials that you have plugged into all these parameters, the beauty of this is that it doesn't have to be done on Excel, right? This can be done on the cloud, which is what we do. We actually deploy the financials and kind of everything that goes into it on the cloud, right? And that means that we can start actually tweaking for different parameters and make it a machine learning problem actually, right? To understand that based on our goals of the business, what should be these 10, 15 different KPIs that address 15 different initiatives and their budgets along with it? Um, so long answer to say that I don't mind creating new KPIs to, not completely new KPIs, but bring up KPIs that are not popular necessarily to be able to help you understand certain other KPIs and initiatives. But at the end of the day, um, I think using parameters, the KPIs that are well-known and optimizing those is part of the strategy. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what, what you are saying is uh, before you go doing your own thing, just understand what people are already using and what's available and then try to make sure that you're getting the most out of it. So uh, totally. Um, there is something I, I want to also bring back something you said earlier that I found very useful for people to stay clear on what they are trying to accomplish. Every single KPI, every single number that you are tracking it is either for top line growth or bottom line growth. So you've got, you, you're putting them in two buckets. So what are you trying to accomplish here? So let's see how we can save money. Okay, these are the KPIs. Let's see how we can grow. Then these are the KPIs, right? That, that's, that's your approach, which I found a uh, very useful way to keep things fairly clear and then have you focus. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, good noticing. I should have maybe highlighted that. But yeah, I mean, the idea is that at the end of the day, I mean, you have things that are help the top line and things that hurt the top line, right? And maybe not even hurt it, but sort of sometimes you have to spend money to make money, right? As as many entrepreneurs will tell you, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, th th that is that is the, there is no other way to break it down, right? Um, and those buckets, be able to actually categorize them that way helps you link it. That's part of the process, right? That, you know, when when we acquire a new company, right? When we work with the sellers, and by the way, in my opinion, it's vital to keep the seller on and partner with them um, is, is, is because when, when you go through that process, right? Um, over that, even education, right? Even with, with the, the, the founder, um, that that's what helps accelerate, right? And, and help build understanding across the team of like, how we're going to actually think about um, our different initiatives, right? Because, you know, we want to be able to teach people to think the right way about their initiatives, right? And in my opinion, every founder is incredibly um, impressive, right? And I think we talk about optimization a lot, but the number one thing we can talk, we, we, we have to acknowledge is that without execution, without having the actual guts to go out and do something, right? Uh, what is optimization, right? So, 
Um, I feel like optimization is nothing without that drive that you know entrepreneurs bring, and that that's to me. I like. I just want to make sure that we highlight that. Oh yeah, I mean you've got nothing to optimize if there is no initiative. <laughs> so it, it's exactly. Just, it's, uh, okay, so uh, I want to share with you a couple of KPIs that I. One of them is is totally my creation. Okay. And the other one is not my creation, but something that I track. It's very hard to track, but it tells you the story in terms of cash because cash is king at the end of the day. So let's start with the one that I created. This KPI, I call it the organic rate. So what, because what is the goal with Amazon advertising? The goal is you spend money on advertising so that you bring traffic to your listings with the hopes of accomplishing two things. First of all, if you do the job good enough or you've got an agency that's doing a good job for your, your total advertising cost of sale is going to be around 10 to 20%. So you're spending a dollar and then in advertising, those advertised sales may be $4, $5, whatever, or $3. But because you rank up in the process, you get altogether $10 in total sales. So you say, okay, I spent a dollar and I got $10 in total for the month. So I'm happy. It's 10%. Mm -hmm. But you don't know that. You don't know how you are ranking up. You just simply is, uh, looking at the, the, the cash. Organic rate is the number that tells you for every paid click, how many organic clicks you generated. Okay. Composite value across the company, as well as at SKU level. Okay. So that's your organic to paid ratio almost, right? If you would. Uh, just on the click level, right? But on the click level, basically. Yes, this is, you can use this in many ways. You can use it as, okay, look backward looking. So that way you can say, okay, I, I spent $10,000 in advertising. It gave me, let's make it simple, 10,000 clicks. But altogether, I got 50,000 clicks. So your organic rate is, is five. So for every okay. click that you spend money on, you got five, uh, five clicks. Okay, now you can use it backwards. You can say, okay, I want to spend so much in advertising. You, you see the power of it. Now you can say, okay, I know for a fact that if I spend money on getting 3,000 clicks, I'm going to get with that organic rate, uh, 15,000 organic clicks. And then with my conversion rate, then I'm going to get so many. So you, now you can even manipulate your budget uh, if you know that okay. KPI. What, do you, what is your take yeah. on it? So I like it. I mean, I do something similar and maybe I'm being too modest when we, I guess, create our own KPIs, right? Uh, but I'm doing something similar because I think I mentioned this is similar to the organic to paid ratio we'll look at. And then you said you have an A cost, right? And And... The inverse of an A cost is just ROAS, right? So if your A cost is twenty percent, that means you're generating five dollars for every dollar you're spending. And if you know that five dollars you 
you're getting from marketing is causing you up, let's say 50, 50% of organic to pay the ratio. That means you get another $5 in, you know, organic sales after that. So we definitely play a part of this. And on top of it all, I know that every new marketing customer, for example, if I actually include my AOV and CLTV and transactions, right? I know that on average, um, every customer that I bring in, let's say brings another customer, another purchase in the next 12 months. So when you actually model all this, I know that again, spending X amount of money is going to generate. So one thing to say is that it's a little different, the approach, but I feel like I don't think I'm, I didn't make it up. I'm using sort of like what's out there, but maybe I'm just looking at it a different way. Like, like you are right. Like you are focusing on the click and but I never thought about us creating my own KPI, but definitely understand that we definitely use something similar to this alongside with uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the CLTV calculation. Cause th that's, that's all of it. Right. I get indeed to see, right. The calculation is all about customer lifetime value. What if, do I know what it is? then you know what your CAC should be, right? Because if you get under that cost, it's profitable. And then if you have that function, all you have to do is just pump money into it, right? Um, so I, I definitely agree with you. And trying to come up with that function for Amazon is a little harder. Um, yeah. And, you know, the click, I like the click aspect of it. And I never thought about the click rate because I think that's, 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 even, more, um, that's even more robust because you can layer on top of it conversion, <laughs> click through, um, and you can actually do incremental, uh, changes there, right. And improvements. Um, so I actually like it more, you know, I, li I like the click. I like, I like, I like yeah. that. This, uh, you, you can do this at skew level and you can do this at uh, category level. If you have multiple brands or multiple categories. So it's something, the second one that, that I like to stay close to is, what I call return on inventory. What that means is what is your net profit versus the amount of inventory you carry at a time. So what that means is let's say that forget the uh, take costs and all that stuff. Forget all that. Uh, how much net, net, net margin you have? How much net what we call liquidity you're generating every month? Let's say you, you have $100,000 in sales and you have 10% net, net, net margin, that means you are netting 10,000 a month. So you're putting 10 grand in your pocket every month. And you think, oh, that's great, you know, 10 grand. So now, what is your inventory value you carry at all? Take an average, 100,000. Because that's first that, yeah. of all, if, you're, you're, if you're doing a good job with your margins to generate $100,000 in a month in sales, you're spending 30,000 on the inventory. Yeah. So, you, and you're buying from China to achieve that margin. That means three, four months lead time. So that means you need to be carrying $120,000 worth of inventory. At okay? least, yeah. Well, if you're making 10 grand a month, it's going to take you 12 months before you put a penny in your pocket just to finance your inventory. So that mm -hmm. is the ratio. I call it return on inventory. What is your cash outlay that, that you need for your inventory that will need to be financed by the profits that you're generating? So, I mean, we just did a very simple exercise, very healthy margins, 
And mm -hmm. if your margins are not as healthy or you start to offer discount, that gets yeah. even worse. So I actually had a guest who uh, specializes in launching Amazon sellers in international markets. So uh, and in, in Europe, as you know, there is also VAT, which you need to pay upfront when you bring the merchandise. So they have to really get into this heavy exercise of planning cash flow because of the VAT and everything else. So he said to me that they actually nailed this down penny by penny, month by month for any new seller to set expectations. And he said 15 yep. months before you see a penny, 15 months. And that's the return on inventory. So what do you think about that? I, I mean, I, I love that. I mean, I have not used that. And I think that's that's one of those simple probably changes that a seller can do when they are selling themselves without overcomplicating it, right? To to get an understanding of the position they're in. So there's no surprise, right? Because again, I think a lot of sellers feel rich on paper or see that revenue and kind of get baffled or kind of get confused as, why am I not able to pull all the all this cash out, right? So this concept, I feel like, is a very powerful one for a solopreneur to really get their head around. Um, so no, I love that concept. Yeah. So, you know, there is an interesting experience I had. So I had also a guest, and he's a great guy. I mean, uh, he's, he's like a whiskey of driving sales on Amazon, looking at keywords, looking at the ranks, look, looking at conversions, and it, it, all the reports and making changes. So so we became very friendly. And then he started one day, he, he said, look, I want to see what your take, because he doesn't really know how to run the business as a business. Uh, he just knows Amazon and, and loves it. So, um, so I said to him, listen, I have a question for you. You're growing. You're growing, obviously, and you're doing something right. So in, or, in order to feel your growth, you're bringing inventory. I said, do you ever feel that you ask yourself, I don't understand. I'm doing well. I got plenty. I'm making money on every sale, and we're growing all the time. But how come I never have any cash in my account? Do you ever ask yourself that? And he, you know what he said? He said, how did you know? I said, well, do you know your numbers in terms of your inventory versus your profit? And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, look, if you don't mind, show me your numbers, and then I'm going to tell you how much you are short. So anyway, he goes to the, uh, he, go, he brings up his uh, a graph, you know. I said, okay, pick these dates. So he picked the dates and I said, okay, what's your margin? I asked the questions. I said, I think you are short about 85 grand. So how did you know? <laughs> I said, look at your numbers. Look at your numbers. Look at your inventory. So this is the biggest problem that I have seen with sellers. They don't really know because you know why? They don't track their inventory. Do you find that? Tracking inventory? Yes. How much to order exactly? Definitely. Right. I think there's always a fear of, I mean, fundamental things like in stock rate. I mean, you'd be surprised how many times I come across sellers and I'm, I'm like, why don't you order more inventory? 
well, I'm afraid about my cash position. I want to maintain this much on a cash. I'm like, how'd you come up with that number? And it would be, it would be rooted in some kind of a emotional answer, right? Like I need this much money to be in. When you actually break it down to the cash flow, right? As we looked at, you can be very comfortable with X amount. And as a return, and as a result, be in stock all the time, right? So I think that inventory planning is definitely one of those hard things to do properly when you are doing it with the wrong foundation, as we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th this is this is so important. And the other thing that's dangerous thing is when they go into this growth mode, they are growing and growth comes from one thing and one thing only. And it's not advertising. It's inventory. the fact that you have inventory. Yeah, the so moment you run out. <laughs> exactly it's you're dead right so uh, they see the growth they see the numbers and therefore they have to keep they have to keep ordering in order to make sure they they don't run out so mm -hmm. without watching that return on inventory to keep ordering that's a very dangerous thing because the tides can turn mm -hmm. And the minute that happens, your liquidity shrinks and you start offering discounts to get rid of inventory. So now you, 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 you are really on thin ice because those things can be detrimental. Overnight, it can change things. And one it day you wake right. up, say, we have no money and I have so much inventory, I don't know what to do. That's right. Over-ordering can be as bad as under-ordering. Like you can over-order yeah. Uh, not have enough cash in the account, right? And then you can't even market. So you have all this inventory sitting and all of a sudden you have to turn off your marketing uh, yeah. just because you don't have enough cash. You didn't think about it, right? Um, so couldn't, couldn't agree more, right? And it's funny, we're both, we're both in the engineering backgrounds, right? And I feel like a lot of what a, um, you call it a startup too, which made me think about it, is a lot like writing code. Right. When you're creating an exciting company, you always want to write code. You want to write the next big software. Right. But what people don't do, right, is write documentation, right, which is a foundation yeah. of anything. Oh, yeah. And the moment stuff, when stuff goes well and you're building everything, it's all fantastic. Right. But when stuff goes, starts breaking or you need to bring extra help or scale and there's no documentation, like writing documentation when you're trying to sort debug. It's plus things you can experience, which is what a lot of sellers experience when all of a sudden they're like, I want to figure out my cash flow statement when I'm in a cash crunch, when I'm trying to grow the business in that stage when you start things are starting to break down. So I think maybe that's why fundamentally I kind of taken that approach and you too of being very data driven and sort of using high level heuristics to help guide us, right? Um well, I mean, playbook. Uh, playbook is key. So I, I always tell people, you know, look, the best thing that can happen to you is you grow the company. So first of all, you're not going to grow your company all by yourself. You're going to have to hire people. Mm -hmm. So the best thing that, that happens to you where the company grows can easily turn against you because, because you're growing, you need help. And you're going to wing it yourself for a while. And then once the growth starts to happen, the worst thing that can happen at that point is you hire people, but they can't do anything because they don't know what to do. And you are so busy and you don't have time to teach them. So what do you do? 
that's where the playbook comes in. So I, I actually have a methodology for building a playbook. So I put that on the deck the most, the playbook. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. always, it's, uh, it's and classic. That, and that's what we do. And, that, and that's what, you know, sort of our goal fundamentally when we partner, right, is how do we get you from, you know, sort of point A to point B in the fastest way possible, right? And, and creating the documentation. So we have a process too. And I, have to, I said before, keeping the seller on, the, the original seller on is vitally important, just like keeping the oh, original, yeah. just like keeping the original coder that wrote the script without documentation. You want to keep right. that guy on to write document because without him, you're basically rewriting everything. And if you have to rewrite everything, like so many aggregators are doing out there, uh, you start getting into a mess of logistics and it's a mess of operations because you're basically are recreating it from, from, from scratch. Exactly. So to me, that's, that's, that's the crux of it, right? How can we build documentation really quickly through a playbook or through a boilerplate, um, through a blueprint, whatever, whatever way you want to call it, right? Um, and do it quickly, right? And that's the experience that we, my team and I bring to the table of how can we do it? Almost creating a black hole between point A and point B and making it really quickly to get there um, while growing the business and making sure that we provide the seller um, a better opportunity than just exiting and leaving the business. Handing him like a second lifeline, if you would, to enjoy the back end of what his business could look like had he had the right foundation. Exactly. Well, I love this conversation. So uh, it's it's all the 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 nitty gritty, so to speak, that makes a big difference at the end of the day. So this was great. So Ari, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you grew up and how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, no. So great conversation. Really did enjoy with you, Nick. I mean, the nitty gritty. Uh, I love the details, right? Um, so about myself, yeah. So I actually grew up. Uh, in Israel uh, until the age of uh, right about high school and moved to the United States uh, to, to the Bay Area in California. And, you know, I went to school uh, to, in UC Santa Barbara and then USC after that. So spent a lot of time in California. And now I'm in New York. I've been in New York for the past 18 months. Oh, so, you know, I, I, I'm in New York City. So whereabouts are you in New York? I'm in Tribeca. Um, you know, lower part of Manhattan. Um, you know, I love it. Um, it's where the young action is, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and one of my favorite things to do is actually, I think, exploring in general. I think you said travel. Uh, travel definitely encompasses it. You know, like traveling internationally, I, I truly enjoy it. But I just enjoy exploring, and that can be just walking down the street, picking a new street, and walking down, and kind of like finding a new restaurant, finding a new thing to look at, right? Kind of like wander aimlessly sometimes within the city. And Manhattan is perfect for that, for exploring and seeing what, what you can find. So you, you are, I mean, you've always been an entrepreneurial kind of person, right? From That's what I understand. Uh, yeah. Methodical. Your approach is methodical. So where, where do you think that came from? Is it something you growing up as a kid, you were always getting into details you know being in the details i think it's sort of always been in my in my dna but i think maybe being an outside outsider looking in sort of gave me always a different perspective i always believe that you have to look at a situation from 
multiple different point of view, point of views. So you have to be an entrepreneur, but you also have to think like, you know, like your CFO, you also have to look, think about as an engineer and every single one of those can actually help you come out with a better answer. Right. And maybe that actually stems to the fact that, you know, I actually speak, you know, four different languages. Um, you know, I speak, I speak Hebrew, Russian, English, uh, Armenian, I studied Spanish here too for, and then in the U S for about four years, but what I've, what, what I've realized that over time that when I think in different languages, you know, you, you, you come up with different thoughts and feelings about a certain subject. And that sort of carried through with having the ability to put on different hats when doing different work and be able to come up with maybe different solutions for a problem. Right. So yeah, go for it. Yeah. What was that the culture in your home growing up? Or was that natural because of your, you know, uh, growing up in different places and uh, where did the languages, the the languages? I mean, that was obviously my family, uh, a good part of it. Um, You know, my my family's from Armenian descent. They made a move to Israel when I was, you know, under one years old. So, I mean, yeah, but as a family, I guess, I suppose of immigrants, right? Like you sort of learn that. You have to like optimize, you have to work hard, you have to hustle oftentimes, right? And, you know, my parents made not just one immigration, but two immigrations, right? They uh, moved from one country to another and then one more to the U.S. actually. So, you know, you, you learn that, you know, hard work is in the root of everything. And, uh, but, but yeah, different, different cultures, right? Like being exposed to do new, new ideas, right? Traveling, meeting different people, that that's that's definitely ingrained from like my family and from my upbringing. Yeah, you said something that I identify with, and I often make a joke about it. It's yeah, it's you work hard, you do whatever it takes, right? So when you are an outsider, you are an immigrant. It's uh, that that mindset is, you know, I I need to work hard, I need to get the job done, I need to do whatever it takes. So that's right. Uh, that is the immigrant mindset, I think, more. I'm not, it's not exclusive to immigrants, but that's usually nine out of 10 immigrants who are looking to make a life or whatever. You do whatever it takes. So the, the way I joke about it is when uh, you're working with people, whether it's your team members or friends or whatever, people, uh, clients I'm coaching or whatever, uh, things don't work. And then they turn around and say, well, I'm doing my best. I say, no, 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 no. First of all, never say I'm doing my best because that's already taken for granted. So how would you like it if somebody comes up to you and says, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do my best. (laughs) You know, you're always expected to do your best. So that has no value. Number one. Number two, when do you actually say, well, I've done my best. It's a defensive statement. Don't put yourself in a position to defend yourself. So, so what? So then, what do you want? Well, do whatever it takes. That's right. That's the model. Um, and like I think I said this before, right? That's why I really do appreciate entrepreneurs because you know, without execution, without actually doing, none of it matters. But what I try and do also be kind of the next generation in some ways. Hard work is fantastic. But I think I observed myself too that oftentimes if things are just done a little more efficiently, sometimes here or there, 
the results could have been even bigger, right? So to me, it's like I, I because I appreciate so much the the effort and that and that and the fundamentals of doing and executing that to me the sacrifice that people put through they should be able to see the full value of it and you can only do that if you right if you put in the right foundation and sort of uh, measures right to make sure that it be, actually yields the most amount of value right because that's that's what we actually want to do right me and you take take that effort and make sure that actually yields in the value it deserves right yeah what you just said reminds me of a poster. So when I was an Amazon seller, my office was downtown in New York. It's right next to Ground Zero. And at the time, the, the, the post office, the great post office right next to Ground Zero had been completely knocked down with the, the whole 9-11 thing. And they had rebuilt it. It was a brand new building. So we used to take our packages there because they were open 24-7. So... Uh, one day I saw a poster on the wall. It said, don't work hard, work smart. <laughs> and that's what you're talking about, right? That too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, work hard. I mean, do both. Work hard and work smart. That's what I'm saying, actually. You know, that's when you actually get, you know, exponential returns. And when you see Amazon sellers take a business that was a million dollars to 10 million, work hard and smart. I think that's what, optimization that we talked about is all about yeah well that's a great way to end so uh, Ari, give us your contact information how can people reach you uh you i think we'll have that information right uh, i think below um with my email information but email is probably the best way to get in touch with me um and that's going to be arc.organessian at pilotwaveholdings.com um and my linkedin um, you know, I'm always responding to most of my messages. So either LinkedIn, which you can find by putting my name in or my email. Great. And uh, we'll put your contact information together with the episode. So it will be available on all the episodes for anybody listening. Just check the episode data and you'll see Eric's uh, information. And, and anybody who is looking for advice, there is the man. He will tell you exactly how to get it. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much, Nick. Appreciate it. And this brings us to the end of another episode, and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.